cosmic. I am holy. I am infinite. I am a rhombus. I am purple, obsequious, and clairvoyant. I am oblong and have my knees removed. I am most relevant. I am most relevant. I am most relevant. I am. I am. I am the end of the end of time. Just in case there's some gold, I'm now pressing record. Now you're seeing your waveform move when you talk, right? Uh, yes. And now it's not squiggly anymore. It's like, you know. It's information now. It's like, uh. Information, like when you're recording. Like how I imagine arrows to look or, or Atlantean coding on crystals. Uh, Atlantean crystals? Yeah, you know, you know, the way it looks is sort of like there's spots where you talk a little bit louder and then a little bit softer, and so it makes yes. these patterns that are sort of like, yes. like coding on crystals. Information coding on crystals in Atlantis, specifically. Um, is this something you've seen or are you just making this up? No, I'm just saying that's what it reminds me of. Reminds you of that because you've seen it? In another lifetime. Oh, so you're making it up. <laughs> okay. Depends on how you think about that, I guess. <laughs> well, it sounds like you haven't seen it. You're just saying, like, you imagine that's what it's like. I've seen this kind of design, but I think it's been more in Native American. Yeah, sure. Instead of Atlantean, but, you know, if anybody's going to be writing coding that would be from Atlantis, it might be the Native Americans or the Egyptians. Or... Isn't it a good thing that I pressed record already? <laughs> <laughs> this is Isn't, gold. It's funny you said that right at 144. Oh, yeah, see? You keep on proving my point. <laughs> Bring in the crazy. <laughs> I'm just joking. You're truly Um... <laughs> What do you, <laughs> how genuine of me. What do you want me to refer to you as? What are the credits you want me to give for you? You mean how do people reach me? Like if I said, how do people find you? How would I introduce you as? Sure. No, um, sure, I introduce you, this is sure? <laughs> I would say, oh, introduce me as Laurel. Do you want me to use your last name? You can. I mean, do you introduce yourself as that? I don't usually say Laurel Repke. I usually just say Laurel, but you know, nice. it depends. 
What about your... I usually say Laurel at the Fairy Den. Laurel at the Fairy Den. However, I'm now making a new website that is laurelrefty.com, so maybe we should say my last name. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Laurel Refty. Of the Fairy Den and Five Cents Healing. So I'm, I want to introduce you as a, an actor, singer, dancer, and a crystal expert. What would I say? What would you consider yourself oh. to be the... Sure, I'm a creative who um, specializes in crystals oh, and it's just jargon. Now you're just giving me jargon. Crystals and uh, you're a creative. You work, <laughs> what corporation do you work for? <laughs> I'm a creatrix. No, I'm a creative. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I, actor, singer, dancer is something I never say anymore. But obviously. I am. I'm a, so I say I'm a creative. You don't, uh -huh. You've never heard that? No, it sounds corporate to me. Really? Yes. Well, creatrix is just so overdone. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, supposedly uh, I was listening to Jimmy Dore and he was talking about Michelle Obama referring to women with an X. What? W-O-M-X-N. Of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> of um, course she'd be the one. Yeah. And Sorry. We shouldn't go down that we shouldn't go down that rabbit hole. No, let's but not. I just thought it just reminded me of that. Let's not for sure. Um uh, yeah, no, so I usually yeah, I'm I'm an artist, if you would rather say that. I'm a performing artist who um, also specializes in crystals, energy healing. And Crystal. meditation and astrology and healing, meditation, astrology. What's the name of your book? Connecting with crystals. Crystals. Okay. So I'm gonna count us in, and then we'll be talking as if it's an interview. Oh my God! I'm not ready. No. <laughs> I'm gonna crown this in from nine. Tea. I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. You're already being <laughs> recorded. Some of this is already going on the show. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm drinking tea. One moment. Okay. Delicious. What kind of tea mm -hmm. are you drinking? Earl Grey. Aged Earl Grey. The Earl of Grey. Yes, the aged Earl of Grey. <laughs> with with raw. Unfiltered honey. Uh huh. <laughs> this is gold. <laughs> what do you? <laughs> I feel like there's a lag now on my feed. Are you sure? No. Okay, I think it's all right. Because I just I say, I say interviewed no, someone with a lag. I 
just interviewed someone with a lag and it was way worse than this. this well, I like speak. A, oh. This feels like a normal conversation for the most part. I speak and then it takes a moment for the little lines to show up. Don't worry about that, the lines. Okay. Don't play, listen to the conversation. That's what you. Yeah, okay. With. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, good, yes, and I, pro I appreciate the sir. Okay, here we go. Um, nine, eight, seven. You're listening to The Post, relevant podcast. A podcast for the end of the end of time with your host, Phil Restino. Hey, enough comedy jokes. Welcome back to The Post, relevant podcast. This is your host, Phil Restino. Glad you came on back. Hey, hey y'all, hey y'all. What's going on, guys? Okay, we've got a great show for you guys today. This is part two of Ladies of the Hour, featuring a very special interview with the wonderful Elfling herself, author, healer, performer, Laurel Rethke. I'll tell you more about that. But first, I uh, just want to tell you a little story. Uh, back when I was a kid, I used to listen to... Steve Martin. This is way back in the 70s when he was doing stand-up. He was the biggest stand-up around, and uh, the album Wild and Crazy Guy was a particular favorite of mine as a five-year-old. used to listen to him on a record in my kitchen. Anyway, uh, you might have heard me saying things like, be obsequious, purple and clairvoyant, or be oblong and have your knees removed in the affirmations at the very beginning of the show. Well, I wanted to admit it right off the bat, those I cribbed directly from Steve Martin, Wild and Crazy Guy. I, I stole those jokes. I stole those jokes, folks. It's from this really great song that he had, a song that his grandmother used to sing for him when he was a kid. And look, I just want to play it for you right now because uh, it is fucking well worth listening to. You're going to love it. Check it out. It goes a little something like this. <laughs> Be courteous, kind, and forgiving. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be warm and human and grateful. And have a good thing to say. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike. Be witty and happy and wise. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be obsequious, purple, and clairvoyant. <laughs> Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Criticize things you don't know about. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Be tasteless, rude, and offensive. Live in a swamp and be three-dimensional. Put a live chicken in your underwear. Get all excited and go to a yawning festival. Okay, everybody. Be courteous, kind, and forgiving. Be courteous, kind, and forgiving. Good. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be gentle and peaceful each day. Be warm and human and grateful. Be warm and human and grateful. And have a good thing to say. And have a good thing to say. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike. Everybody on this. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike. Be witty and happy and wise. Be witty and happy and wise. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be honest and love all your neighbors. 
Be it Sequius, purple and clairvoyant. Let him hear you outside. Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Everybody sing. Be pompous, Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Criticize things you don't know about. Criticize things you don't know about. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Ladies only, be tasteless, rude, and offensive. Now the men live in a swamp and be three-dimensional. Everybody, put a live chicken in your underwear. Put a live chicken in your underwear. Go into a closet and suck eggs. Steve Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, I couldn't help myself from stealing jokes from that song at the beginning of the podcast. It just uh, was coming out of my mouth. I love it so much, so I thought I'd just share it with you and cop to stealing those jokes. And I wanted to say right off the bat before we get into the meat of the show that if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash post relevant and make a donation. There'll be more info about that later on in the show. Okay, so uh, we've got Laurel Rathke on the podcast today. Laurel is a dear friend. I made her watch Under the Silver Lake <laughs> some time ago, and she had an amazing recollection, actually, of a lot of the movie, seeing how it had been quite some time since she had seen the film. Laurel is a healer, and she curates and runs her own crystal shop in New York City, The Fairy Den. You can look up thefairyden.com online and learn more about her shop. Being someone like me who's on their spiritual quest, so to speak, uh, she knows a lot of things about a lot of things. And I knew that she would be a great person to talk to when I got to the scene in Under the Silver Lake about the final man and the three women in the hut. So I got her on the show and we had quite a sprawling conversation all about different kinds of subject matter from the movie. We talked quite a bit about the moon. We talked about mythology and astrology and tarot and symbolism of the moon and the reality of it and all this stuff. And then we went deep into Mary Magdalene and her significance and sacred oils, nard, (laughs) stuff like that, and much, much more. Laurel was an awesome guest and we really did a deep, deep dive into the Silver Lake and swam around the ladies of the hour expounding and exploring and expanding and exfoliating any information we could riff out into the stratospheres related to the subject matter from Ladies of the Hour Part 1 that I explored with Sister Christine and Brother Andy. If you haven't heard Part 1, you might want to go back and check out Episode 16 right now. Also on the show, I'll be presenting a brand new song. It's called Her Mystery School, and it's about Laurel's amazing crystal shop. I'll tell you more about that later. But for now, let's get into the conversation with the elfling herself, the New York City fairy, Laurel Rethke. This is quite a cosmic conversation, and I think you guys are going to learn a little something before it's done. Here we go. Ladies of the Hour, part two. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast. This is Phil, reintroducing the podcast once again. As you've already heard me on this episode, reintroduce the podcast, and now I'm doing it again. And soon I'll be doing it again. So welcome back. I have a wonderful guest today, one of my closest friends. She is a performing artist. I call her an actor, singer, and dancer. And uh, she is an author of the book Connecting with Crystals. And she also is a healer and a crystal aficionado. She is sort of an expert with crystals, energy healing, meditation, and astrology, among other things. You can find her if you look for Laurel at the Fairy Den and at Five Cents Healing all over the interwebs. Please welcome to the post-relevant podcast, the most wonderful and glorious goddess of the 21st century, <laughs> Laurel Rethke. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Nice to be here. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. You're so welcome. That was probably the best one I've ever done. <laughs> My heart grew larger listening. What part grew larger? My heart. Oh. I thought maybe you said <laughs> fart. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Laurel and I, we've known each other for quite some time. We're sort of partners in this journey of trying to wake up our souls on this godforsaken rock that we call the earth. So Laurel knows all these cool things about crystals and essential oils and astrology and spirituality. And I thought that she'd be an excellent person to talk to. I have shown Laurel the movie Under the Silver Lake. Laurel, what was your, do you have any memories of the movie or do you have any impressions of the movie? Uh, the first thing I always think about when you mention the movie is the owl lady coming out from below the cupboards. <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome part, right? Well, it's a little spooky. <laughs> I think I had to look away. <laughs> oh, really? That reason, scared you? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting it, I guess. I, I can't really remember, but um, I guess I wasn't expecting it, and I was like, oh, no, what does it mean? <laughs> I don't like scary things. What did you think it meant? I don't know, but it scared me a little bit. The other thing that comes to mind is the party that he goes to in Purgatory? Uh, in Limbo. In Limbo. <laughs> uh, no, it is Purgatory, isn't it? I always get it confused. Right. It's early on in the movie where he follows those name, girls to the... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the club name is Purgatory, right? I think it is. That's a much cooler name than Limbo. Limbo yeah, is the purgatory. dance you do. It's Purgatory. <laughs> what do you remember about that party? Pretty girls talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess that's how you'd say it. A lot of pretty and, girls. And a woman, a, a girl with balloons all over. Yes, the balloon girl. And a pool. Isn't there a pool? Oh, yeah. Honestly, it's all just, when I think of the movie, it's all just various and random imagery that comes in. Because, like, now I suddenly, well, I suddenly had three more things pop into my head. One being when they're about to go into the king of the... The Homeless King. The Homeless King, that's it. When they're about to go into the Homeless King's lair. Yeah. One, when the lead character's just sort of standing there listening to the insane piano playing guy who's... Yeah. Created the songwriter with a capital The songwriter, that's right. 
with capital X. S S S O. And the songwriter. And also the scene when they're in the water at the end, where he's with the girl and they get shot. Well, yeah, shot at. Shot at. Well, she gets shot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and then I just had a flash of the girl at the beginning with the dog that he's sort of intrigued by, and also the parrot lady. And now I'm getting an image of the the girl he was having sex with in the outfits. Oh, you're remembering all the cool goddess imagery. Oh, well, that is interesting and appropriate, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and emotions come with it. Like, the emotion of sadness comes with the scene at the end where she gets shot. And yeah, yeah, it's all connected to emotion, but it's more about the images. Interesting. Because I think, honestly, in some way, the creator of the film probably would like to hear that. That what sticks with someone are the images and the emotions that go with the images over necessarily a play-by-play of what happens in the movie. Okay. Uh, I'm willing no? to accept that maybe that's what he'd like. I don't know. Well, because it's because it's speculate. connection. It's connection to sort of the overarching beyond the tangible theme underneath the surface. You know, uh-huh. that's why I, I thought that. But who knows? <laughs> uh, the narrative is very dense and peculiar and coded. So I think he definitely cares about the play by play as well. I'm sure you're right. But the images are striking and the sounds like most of the things that you kind of retained. And I'm amazed that you retained all that because I can't even remember when you saw this film, but it's been a while. It's been at least six months. Oh, my God. Wow. And you remember all that? That's amazing. It is amazing considering how <laughs> I don't often remember much from movies, I see. Right. <laughs> and you watched you only watched that once with me, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I pretty much made you watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I wanted to see what you were so intrigued by. So the moment where the woman gets shot in the water. Oh, it's tragic. Yeah, they're in the Silver Lake. Yeah. They're in the reservoir in L.A. Yeah. So in my research and in my decoding of the movie, that scene, they are literally in the Temple of Diana. Hmm. The moon goddess. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, they're in the lake, and there's a full moon above them, and you can see the Griffith Park Observatory in the distance, as well as the Hollywood sign. It's essentially the moon tarot card, and they both climb the fence and undress. So the woman's name is Millicent Sevens, and she's the daughter of the rich guy who's supposedly dead and took the woman, the blonde woman that you remember with the dog, he took her into, quote-unquote, the underworld with him, but everyone thinks they're dead, but they fake their death. And Sam, the main character, has been searching for the blonde, Sarah, throughout the movie. Right, right. And he follows a coyote up to a Millicent's house where there's a party going on, and he meets her and tells her that he knows who her father is and that his friend disappeared with her father. She's like, what do you know? He's like, I've been trying to find her. And she says, like, what did you find out? And then the next scene is them walking next to the Silver Lake Reservoir in Silver Lake in LA. And they come upon like a memorial of like pictures of like people's missing dogs because there's a theme of dogs missing throughout the, right. the movie. And there's a little dog statue there with like lots of candles lit. So it's almost like a little temple, you know, like a sacred spot. Right. And then they walk by this homeless guy that Sam tells to fuck off and the homeless guy starts like 
screaming at them, and I believe that the homeless guy is the lobster from the Moon Tarot card. Wow. And then they climb the fence and they both undress. And so Sam followed a coyote. So he's the wolf on the Moon Tarot card. And Millicent, you know, there's this whole thing about dogs and related to the Moon Goddess, I believe. Whereas like in ancient Rome or what have you, like in the Temple of Diana, they would take in pregnant dogs, stray dogs and stuff like that in the temple. So I believe that in some ways they're relating this idea of dogs to actresses in LA. So she's the dog and he's the wolf in the tarot card. And then there's the lake, which is the body of water in the tarot card. And then there's the full moon above that. And then there's supposed to be two pillars in the tarot card. And what you can see in the distance is the Griffith Park Observatory, which has a obelisk in the courtyard of it. Just like that obelisk that's in, um, Central, in Central Park. Park. What's that one called, do you know? Cleopatra's Needle. Yes, just uh, similar to that, not as big, but it's the same idea. Right. And then there's the Hollywood sign with a giant TV tower next to it that you can see. So I believe those are the two towers. So I think that whole scene is a, a moving depiction of the moon tarot card. What does the lobster represent on the card? I, you know, you know honestly, I don't, I don't know the tarot as well as other things. I can't remember what the lobster is, but um, I believe that's why the homeless guy is sitting there and acting belligerent, that he's supposed to be the lobster on the tarot card. Right. So that whole scene is like a moving depiction of the moon card. And then in ancient Rome, I believe there they would have this famous temple of Diana that was on a lake and they would have a temple there and they would do ceremony to Diana under the moon there because Diana's the moon goddess. Which aspect of Diana is this? The huntress? Well, Artemis is the huntress. I don't know if, so the moon goddess is always depicted as three goddesses. Mm -hmm. That was my insight into the entire decoding of the movie is there's always three women. There's these groups of three women that appear throughout the movie. Right, like the mother maiden crone. The mother maiden or... crone. So I would assume that maybe Diana's the mother. I don't know, but I assume she is, but I don't, I don't know. It could be the maiden. Well, I only she could ask be the huntress, like you're saying, yeah. Right, I only ask because my understanding is as with all of these, I don't know, what, what would you call them, deities? <laughs> um, these goddess, gods. gods and goddesses. goddesses. Depending on what time frame we're talking about, a lot would change in regards to how they were sort of honored. But again, uh, it's interesting because archetypes and tarot aren't my specialty. <laughs> but it's related. But I think it's fascinating. And so that's part of, you know, I haven't listened to all of your decoding, but I've listened to a significant amount of it and just sort of left off after eight a bit, but. <laughs> oh, so you got to the Temple of Diana, I think. I did, yes. I've only gotten about halfway through the one with Christine. Oh, well that's like 12. Oh, well, I may have missed some in there, too. <laughs> I've skipped well, around the, the crap. The one all about the lake and the Temple of Diana is uh, maybe episode nine, I think, and so you might want to check no, that out. No, I think I did. I did. I'm pretty sure I did check that one out. But I just find it interesting. Um, you know, I have a friend who has talked to me about the differences about how certain of these deities were 
well, she, she would say worshiped, but revered or honored at different times. And so that's why I was wondering if you've spoken to anyone who maybe does know a lot about either tarot or archetypes and sort of how these roles change throughout time, but what the overall arching themes are that are true throughout. I mean, I've sort of been the person doing that. Doing that, right. Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> and doing it well, I might add. No, but um, so when I think of Diana, I always think the huntress is immediately what comes in. And yet my friend who, who talked to me about this, she's also talked about how Diana can be related to the sign of Virgo, which is why I know anything about it at all, because I am a Virgo. Right. So that's how I relate to Diana, but still there's, you know, a lot missing. But you're right. It's been a while since nine happened. I should probably go back and listen to it again. I was absolutely mystified by eight and nine and want to share it out with my, my peeps as well. So what do you mean mystified? Oh, I just loved the deep dives that you were doing, and I was learning a lot, you know? Even though it, I think all of us that are sort of interested in the esoteric and Gnostic wisdom, we've all dabbled in this to a certain degree, but yeah. it's always good to be reminded of certain things and to hear new things that you've never considered before. It's all just another layer, you know, of information that comes through. So that's what I really have been enjoying about listening to the ones that I've gotten to the maiden would be Virgo, because she's still a virgin. Uh, right. Essentially a virgin. Right. You know, she's not a mother yet, so uh, you gotta say, at least sort of symbolically, I guess she'd be a virgin. Right. So, yeah. uh, and That's that would be- That's probably why I relate to her as the huntress, I guess. <laughs> right, and Artemis is the Greek version that ah. is like the typical huntress. Right, You're, yeah. And she's always depicted as like tall and athletic mm -hmm. for some reason. Probably Diana is probably the maiden, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, uh, I don't know. I gotta mm. say, I don't know. I, there are I've taken so many notes and I went through like different sets of three goddesses. Cause it goes from like place, even like different parts of Greece will use different names, right? you know, or different parts of Rome will use right. different names and stuff. And they're, and there and these mythologies are like uh, bringing in like gods from other cultures that are nearby and shit like that too, and adopting them. I mean, I guess Rome, you know, went out and took over everything. And what Rome would do, as far as I know, is they would include the beliefs of the locals. But then they'd be like, "But you got to pay your taxes to us, right?" And that's how they kept on growing. I think as they kept on like incorporating more. Yeah. Yeah. And so those things would get moved into the right. uh, mythologies as well. Yeah, I'm sure that's how it kept changing over time is yeah. because of that. What do you know about the moon? I know the moon is feminine. The moon is reflection. The moon is our inner selves. The moon is emotion. The moon is intuition. The moon is inner sparks of insight. Hmm. Let's go through some of those things that you just said. So you first said, what was the first thing you said? Was it reflection? I have no idea. <laughs> I think you said reflection. Reflection, yeah. And that's a big one. A reflection of our inner lives, I would say. A reflection, oh, so there's a lot of imagery in this movie. There's even one scene where he's at the purgatory party where he goes in, he follows this one woman into the bathroom and she is part of a three woman triumvirate. 
He goes into the bathroom to confront her and ask her if she knows where his friend is because he saw her previously in his friend's apartment getting a box of his friend's stuff. They're in a bathroom and the camera goes into the mirror and films the reflection of their conversation. Oh, yeah, that's cool. It's this really subtle move. You don't even notice it. I, after a few watches, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow. That's what he's doing. And of course, the idea of the lake being a mirror as well. If you think about like Steven Spielberg's uh, logo for Imagine Films or whatever it is, and it's like this reflection of the moon in the lake. Right. So even he's using this Diana symbolism. Right. So what do you think about reflection? I mean, even you could say that the silver screen is a mirror reflecting to, uh, back to the audience, their inner life. Yeah, and I would say definitely it is. One of the reasons why I really love being in the theater, beyond getting to live moment to moment through the work, sort of like a walking meditation, so to speak, was the fact that when I would go to the theater and it was really good work, I was shifted, I was changed. I was able to relate to different characters and different ideas and really reflect upon them for myself and my own life. And really good theater would change my viewpoints sometimes or, or help me see things in a new light. And I think that's a huge part of what theater and performance and art in general is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But it was one of the things that really excited me about working in that field. <laughs> Not the normal things maybe that other people would be excited about, but for me, it was the constant meditation and it was the fact that it really could shift people's lives if it was done well. Mm. Do you think it sh that's what it should be doing? I do, yeah. And shifting them into what? Just helping people to have their own cathartic moments or helping people to to see things from a different perspective that they hadn't before, or bring peace to some area of their life where they didn't have peace. To me, really good theater or really good, any kind of really good performance or art in general does that. It, it shifts your perspective on things and it helps you to grow. You know, even comedy can do that, but especially really well done drama. Even lowly comedy. It can, it can shift. Depend, yeah, even lowly comedy. The lowest of low <laughs> comedy, that garbage. I guess it depends on, it depends. I mean, it's not like I would go, to, even when I would go see a good show, not everyone changed my life personally, but they all, if they were done well, I mean, it brought me to a moment of stillness within me mm. because I was truly in the moment with them. If I believed what I saw happening, then I was completely in the moment with them and that just the perfection almost of that would could change my life and did several times. I remember seeing the heiress on Broadway with Cherry, oh gosh, okay, I can't remember her last name at the moment, but um, it was so well done and it, that I, it brought me to a new state of meditation in a sense while it was happening. And you said that it shifts your perspective so it's almost like it's reflecting a new version of yourself back at you. Yes, that is one thing that it can do. Or it can help you understand someone else or some experience in your life that mm -hmm. you might not have understood before. When you say, you know, it brings you into the moment and you're talking about it like a meditation. I, the thing that I experience with theater and film when it's really effective is even though you know you're looking at something that's not real, takes you into it, right? It draws you into a new story. 
and now you're living in that story and then when you get to these cathartic intense moments that really affect you it's almost like more than real yeah well the brain doesn't know the difference even though we know we're watching something on television television mm-hmm. <laughs> or in the theater we know that it's on the stage or on the screen mm-hmm. but the brain is still experiencing it as if it is genuinely happening in some aspect so definitely when it's done well it has to be believable if i don't believe the actors then it's much more difficult to have these kind of stars well that's not true if the script is good i'm i'm all there but <laughs> but if if it's really well done then i'm in the moment with them and i'm experiencing it in some form with yeah. them I personally don't like to watch just whatever. If I'm not interested in the subject matter and what I think it's going to explore, then it's really not it's not interesting to me any longer. I mean in my 20s, my 30s, I explored anything that I thought was going to be well done, but now I'm like, mm, I don't need to see that. It's not a subject matter that I care about." So, I only want to go on the journeys that I want to go on. So that's me sort of picking and choosing where I go in regards to that kind of exploration. and i wanted to benefit me and my own life in some way so and that's just a riff on the idea of reflection what else what other qualities would you say that the moon contains you know i didn't mention mystery okay and cycles of life i mean there's so much to the moon <laughs> let's stop yeah, i know that's why i wanted to talk to you about it cuz it once i figured out that the moon was a central image and central theme in this movie Now I have all these more questions about the moon than I already have because there's already so much mystery about the moon itself and this film is all about mystery so you you say the moon represents mystery is that where did do, where does that how do you know that idea like where does that idea come from do you know <laughs> I have about 100 things running through my head with that question but um mm-hmm. I mean the moon is related to the feminine and the feminine is magnetic whereas the masculine is the sun and the sun is active and so magnetism and and females in general are can just be a mystery to the action state that it's drawing drawing someone in as yeah. opposed to running out and grabbing them right which is right. more masculine so it's that drawing in and what will be there on the inside it's a journey it's going to go in cycles Um yeah. definitely but it's going to it's a journey and it's mysterious and and also I don't know I mean I'm not sure if this is true do we only see one side of the moon yes. when we look up into the yes. sky always Right so I don't know if that's true of the sun as well but but I'm thinking that we I was thinking we only see one side of the moon so there's that the dark side of the moon that we don't see that we don't know that we can't fully understand and that's part of also going into the subconscious and going into dream time these are all references of the moon and and to me it all relates back to that magnetic frequency that is held within the feminine and you know to me a lot like when i talk about crystals you know people are always like oh i'm going to put them in the sun to cleanse them and i'm like yeah that's fine but you know you want to do that with some caution some some minerals will actually change color cuz they're photosensitive And are you like how about you put them in the moon, eh? Put well, them in I'm the like, moon light. It's eh? great if you want to solar cleanse them, that's great. Go ahead and do it, but only for an hour or so. But but if you put them in the moonlight, 
then it's really working on those subconscious things within us. I mean, one, it's working with the astro the astrology that is happening at that time and mm -hmm. connecting with that, those astrological themes, so to speak. But it's also about just all the things that the lunar holds, which is, you know, it's it's the light in the dark in some ways. Mm. It's, it's the biggest light in the sky at night, that's mm, for sure. Yeah, and it's exploring the subconscious, exploring dream time, exploring those things which we can't quite grasp. Yeah. Because just like a woman. <laughs> I mean, it's a perfect, uh, no, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely perfect because in this movie, it's all about this guy, he seems to be obsessed with women. Right. But they, they seem to be, He's like constantly following them around, right? It's a and little creepy. And they're mysterious, creepy, yeah. But they're mysterious and he becomes obsessed with this one in particular and, and he's he spends drawn the in. rest of the film drawn into this deeper and deeper mystery trying to get it mm. and find her. And she also symbolizes the moon. In my mind, she's Persephone, mm. who's brought into the underworld by um, the god of the underworld. Uh, right. Um, Pluto, also known as? Can't remember. Yeah, weird, huh? We both forgot. Yeah, we both, and, and I do feel like I have had Persephone moments at times, so I can't believe mean? I can't remember it. What do you mean it. by that? What do you mean by that? Uh, Hades. Hades, very Was good. it Hades? Yes. Yeah, okay. The Lord of the Underworld. Although, um, in my research, different gods became gods of the underworld. Right. They would become Sithonic, it's called Sithonic gods. And so when they represent the underworld, they become Sithonic. So even Zeus becomes Sithonic at some points, or other gods do as well. Well, I mean, that goes back to the whole masculine and feminine mm -hmm. aspects and counterpart. I mean, that's what we're exploring here in many ways, mm -hmm. is this duality. And the duality is the masculine and feminine to many, but it's the action and the magnetism. I mean, that's what makes, I would say almost everything happen is basically yes. action and magnetism and spin. So the sun is magnetic. I'm sorry, the sun is electric and the um, earth is, is magnetic. magnetic. And they think that possibly that's one of the strongest forces in the universe is the electromagnetic force. Right, well, I would say definitely it is. I, I mean, and it's interesting, you said the moon is magnetic and it is essentially, but my understanding is that the earth is magnetic. Okay. You know, in some cultures, they'll say father, son, father, sky, but father, son, mother, earth, and grandmother, moon. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think that's important because the sun is electric, the earth is magnetic, and we are the electromagnetic energy between the two. So we are here between heaven and earth, so to speak. What's the moon doing in that equation? Well, you know, I don't know. That's something maybe to explore that I hadn't thought about, but because I do see the moon as magnetic as well, but I'm kind of, I was pointing this out because I'm trying to bring out our own aspect of it. I mean, maybe the moon is just simply the reflection of the earth or the reflection of our subconscious, even more so than the actual magnetic force. But again, I don't know enough about that kind of science um, to really speak on it, but... The moon is almost like the first movie screen. But everything is, right. The first mirror. Yes, that's beautifully said. Yeah. But everything is magnetic or electric. Therefore, 
The moon is also magnetic. And here we are experiencing the electric and magnetic all around us. You know, I mean, it's the electromagnetic field around the body, but really it's more of a biomagnetic field that's sort of interacting with the electric and the magnetic. You know, there's this guy, Crow Triple Seven, have you heard of him? Oh, yeah. And he filmed the lunar wave. Have I ever shown you the lunar wave? Maybe. <laughs> So this guy would get these powerful telescopes and, you know, a good digital camera, and he'd just film the moon for hours. He'd film the sky and the moon, the night sky, for hours and hours. I think he's in Santa Cruz or something. I don't know, honestly. Actually, the last interview I heard with him, I think he was in Rhode Island, so I don't know. But he famously filmed this thing while filming the moon, which looks like a little ripple that goes across the moon as if as if you're looking at a TV screen with a little bit of interference and it was like a, a like a little refresher line that runs up the side of the like, runs across the face of the moon mm -hmm. almost like if you were in a tide pool and you were looking at a little tiny wave run across the water mm. so you see a ripple that a line that ripples across the entire face of the moon I do remember you showing this to me several years ago yeah, and that, and I mean, he filmed it, and other people since then have filmed it. They've also filmed that same line go across Jupiter. Really? Yeah, so this has been scientifically duplicated by other people who are just sitting there observing the night sky. I mean, he also sees all these lights coming off the moon. He's also filmed two suns in the sky. Really? He's used a certain kind of filter. I'll have to show you this, but... He's used a certain kind of filter, I believe, and it he films the sun, and then he moves the camera across the sky, and then you see a different colored sun in the sky that doesn't even look like it's that far away from the first sun, but it's invisible to the naked eye. Right. So according to his instruments, he's filmed two suns in our sky as well. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, which is interesting because Star Wars does that thing with the two suns at the beginning right. on Tat Tatooine with Luke. But they're further um, apart. Yeah. But anyway, he's also stated that he thinks, he thinks possibly that the moon generates its own light. Like people think that the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. Right. But he considers that possibly sometimes the moon is actually crystal clear, like you can see through it. And he also, like for a new moon, and he also thinks that it might be generating its own light source. That's fascinating. Because, I mean, once you start thinking about like, well, what the hell is this ripple going on across the moon on the right. sky that makes it look like, it makes you think like the whole sky is like a giant illusion, essentially. Right. As if like someone's projecting a night sky for us because they're not, they don't want us to see what the actual night sky looks like. Right. And maybe the moon is part of this. There's this other theory that... Like they were adjusting the curtain and it ripples. Yeah. <laughs> the veil. Yeah, there's another theory like... the veil. <laughs> the veil. There's another theory that the Saturn and the moon can create like a matrix that is like a control system that keeps our consciousness in place on this right. planet. They also There's also a theory that the moon is like a soul collector. Right. So maybe your soul can't get by the moon. I think I've explained this to you before, but I had this experience that I've shared on the podcast where I saw a series of lightning bolts, like a net of lightning bolts emanating from the moon going across the entire sky. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was very interesting. Well, interestingly, I mean, if we're going to go into things 
things that are a little off the beaten path, so to speak. I, at one time, was around two women that I felt like I was having remembrances of living with them on the moon. Oh yeah? On our moon, not just any random moon, but the Earth's moon. So three women. Well, that's interesting. And yeah, and so could it be that I was, my subconscious was exploring something that's about archetypes or it's mm. possible. Um, but I definitely felt like I had remembrances of time with them on the moon. And then of course, you know, the whole dark side of the moon, what's really going on over there. I mean, I think it's something that really fascinates the psyche of a lot of people because there, there are speculations that that it is all set up as some sort of control mechanism maybe more military but i really love the way you just said it which was maybe it's a control mechanism put in place to keep our consciousness in place and maybe it's something that we as souls knew or even set up so that we could come here and have the experiences we have mm. beyond I guess not beyond the veil, <laughs> with this veil in place so that we're, right. we don't re remember everything and all, that we are really living in this space-time as opposed to time-space. <laughs> um, because they say that the soul, the conscious, you know, the, the eternal soul lives in time-space, which is three-dimensional time and one-dimensional space. But to have the opportunity to come here to the Earth plane, we're living in space-time, which is three-dimensional space and one-dimensional time. And so they say for many, the eternal soul can move around that, you know, time is relative in so many more ways than maybe some people have even thought about because everything, and this is being explored in film right now, speaking of the silver screen and the silver lake and the reflection and all that, it's being explored in great detail in, in some films right now in regards to that everything is happening at the same time. And um, I forget what the name of the movie was, but I think it was the blonde actor that was in contact, the lead actor, I can't think, can't think of names, was in a film where he was sort of lost in Oh, Matthew Time. McConaughey. Yes, Matthew McConaughey. Yes, Interstellar. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's the first film that pops into my head in regards to, you know, how it, it's deeply being explored, that everything is happening all at the same time, but we are in this construct where we are experiencing time in a linear fashion. Mm. When he's in the Tesseract in that movie, the fourth dimensional construct, it's related to Saturn. Oh. Which is the god of time. Yeah, I haven't seen that film in since it came out. It would be really fascinating to explore again. Um, I'm fascinated that you think he's blonde. <laughs> I mean, he was blonde in a, he was blonde in... Um, Contact? No. Oh. No, I don't think he's even blonde. Well, maybe he is. Blonde-ish. Dazed and Confused, he's blonde in that movie. Oh, well, it's totally possible the way things work in my head that that's the image that I still have. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I would say he's gotten browner over the years and maybe, yeah, but, sure. but you know, if your hair is not dark, they actually kind of, in the beauty industry, consider like what I would consider brown hair, they consider it dark blonde, regardless of his hair color. <laughs> yeah, it's, and then I feel like it's been explored a lot in some of the Marvel movies as well. Just the whole thing of time, time not being linear or everything is happening or i mean we're starting to explore multi-dimensionality like multiple universes wasn't there a spider-man recently that did that yeah and that new doctor strange movie 
the oh, multiverse yeah. of madness. The interesting yeah. thing is this that Moon Knight show that's been out. That guy's got multiple personalities. Which guy? The main character who, who is Moon Knight, the titular superhero. He's a multi. He has DID, which is something identity disorder. I can't deal with the first D. Is boy, I'm stupid as a rock today. Um, hey, rocks are not stupid. It's something like defective <laughs> identity disorder, something like that. But it just means that he's got multiple personalities. And there is lots of mirror imagery in that show and cracked mirrors. Oh. Yeah, and it's all about he's he's the servant of Khonshu, the Egyptian moon god. He becomes his avatar. It's interesting. I watched that show because I really want to see what kind of moon imagery Disney was going to be pulling on us. And so they were going oh. through all, they, they were doing the, the multiple personality stuff with the main character. And so disassociative identity disorder. Well, there's another thing that you mentioned pulling on in regards to the moon. The moon works with the water. It works with emotion. It works with the tides. Mm-hmm. It pulls on the water of our body. I mean, what I can pretty definitively say is that as adults, we are 70% water. And we've been told for eons, <laughs> maybe not eons, we've been told for a long time that the, the moon pulls on the tides. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's true personally. And so the moon is pulling on the emotions. And that when we go and see a film or any sort of art in, you know, performing art, our emotions are pulled on. And that's part of the transformational process you know there's water imagery throughout the movie right you, you recall that the purgatory party there's a pool there right of and course also- there is silver lake yeah he follows these three women to the echo park lake at one point and they're running around on that oh it's all over the movie he's bathing in tomato sauce after he gets sprayed by a skunk oh right and that's him when he reveals his whole paranoid theory about uh the elite and about vanna white so it's all over and of course the water is like the symbol of the divine feminine in mythology and you know the temple of diana it's it's a lake it's at a lake it's at a body of water yeah and you're also bringing up the whole idea of the ethereal nature of the moon and Uh water is also ethereal like you, you see the waves lap but you can't quite you know, depending on how the sun or the light is hitting it, you can't quite see beyond the waves and you can't see down into the depths of it. That's also the mystery. Hmm. But Water's whole... never, yeah, it's never still either. So it's right. always... always in flow, always in movement, yeah. Hmm. And so is the moon. I mean, the moon moves more quickly than any other luminary or planet in the sky. Every 27 to 29 days, it's hmm. in a new sign of the zodiac, which is why for so long they had 13 moon calendars as opposed to this 12 moon calendar that we're in now. This 12 moon calendar bullshit. <laughs> this 12 moon calendar that is hiding the wisdom of the 13. <laughs> hiding Ophiuchus from us all. But interestingly, it's that 13 is seen as this unlucky number, but truly 13 is is mysterious and it's the Gnostic wisdom. It's the hidden wisdom. It's the thing that's just beyond your fullest understanding and knowing. They have 12 signs of the zodiac, but then there's the 13th sign that's just beyond. Yeah, that's just beyond. And and it's, again, mystery. But in, in a sense, you want it to be a mystery because when you do find out about it, then it makes you want to learn more about it. And that is really about balancing 
balancing the other 12 in a sense, balancing between heaven and earth, so to speak. I forget, Apucus is holding a snake and standing on the world, is that right? Two, Two snakes? I don't know if he stands on the world, but he's 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 holding two snakes in his hand. Mm. I was thinking it was the head and the tail, but you, you could be right there. But if you put that together, then you've got the uh, the symbol of like Hermes of Thoth there, the Caduceus, right? Like the two snakes running up the staff, which is the Kundalini running up the spine. Right. Right. It, it, so I'm pretty sure it is just one snake, though. I mean, I'd no, say it's two. All right. He's well, I know that Caduceus definitely has the on two. on either side. Right. His hands are outstretched on either side, and he's holding a snake in each hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wonder if that constellation is like near the center of the galaxy or some shit like that. Well, um, like you're looking at it. You're looking at the center of the galaxy. Yeah, it is late. It's in late Scorpio to early Sagittarius, and interestingly, the galactic center of the universe is just, well, we place it at this point just beyond, a little bit further into Sag, maybe um, maybe 10 degrees further into Sag, Sagittarius. So it is very, very close to this. It's like it's towards the center of the universe. And the galactic center is, is supposed to be like, you know, the central sun and stars, the the source, in a sense, of all of the universe. And when we're close to that source, we are in alignment with those divine frequencies. And the snake handler is kind of like Jesus. He's sort of like the realized man. He's the wounded healer, yes. I believe. Ophiuchus is the wounded healer, which is sort of what we all become when we go on that journey. Well, yeah, well, Chiron truly is the wounded healer, but there are definitely some similarities between it. But again, like, it's a fascinating subject that I, when I first became fascinated with it, there wasn't a lot of information that I could find. But now it's a vast, there's vast amounts of information, and I probably should do a deep dive into it because it is truly fascinating to it's going beyond the 12 into the 13th into the hidden wisdom. And it is to me about mastery, self-mastery, so to speak, uh, coming to that place where you really reach more of that state of alchemical state of the perfection of the, I, I don't love to use the word perfection, but the, the wholeness of our being here on earth and yet connected above, so to speak. Yeah, and if you go back to 13, 13 is the number of a coven. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, in the Bible, it's the 12 apostles and Jesus, so mm-hmm. that's 13. Mm-hmm. So it's a magical, complete number in some way. Mm-hmm. And the hidden Sephira on the Tree of Life. Does that make 13? I believe so. Mm, I wonder. So, I mean, in a way, like, the coven of 13 or Jesus and his disciples, they all symbolize in a certain ways, like each house of the zodiac. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So. Oh yeah. No, I, it's, when you reminded me that thirteen was the number of a co- coven, I was like, yeah, that's right, one for each month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, and of I course. even wonder if that's one of the at least trying to get people who embodied uh, one of each of the months of the zodiac, so to speak, or however it was looked at at that time. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to perform magic, then you're probably going to find out that it all goes back to the moon again. Right, well, yeah, someone say the whole Bible is based on on astro- astronomy or 
astrology and astronomy. Here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's probably the oldest science. Yeah, I've definitely seen um, people relate the 12 disciples and Yahushua to the zodiac. Mm -hmm. And in the, the master's painting of The Last Supper, some people think that it was, I think, from left to right, essentially, Aries through Pisces. Mm. Well, Jesus is Pisces. Although in some ways he's Leo, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't remember because it's been a while since I've looked at that, but I do remember they were re relating each one of them, and I felt like it was almost actually in order of Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer. Well, here, let me connect this all together. You know, it's interesting. This conversation's been good already because uh, you're, you're hitting on things that I've, I've been aiming at anyway. Oh, great. You know, and so it's neat to hear your perspective on it. So in this movie, these three women represent the moon, and it turns out that they, like the main character keeps on finding groups of these three women in, in different configurations, and they're essentially uh, prostitutes, and they uh, work for a company called Shooting Stars, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny, right? Mm -hmm. So he's following them around all the times with like, the main character is following the moon throughout the whole movie. He's following the moon all the time. That's what uh, I think symbolically is what's happening. It's, he's following these women in different configurations or even the main character, Sarah, or even the bird lady, who's an aspect of the moon, Hecate, the, the crone. So he's constantly watching the moon and following the moon throughout the entire film. And that's his life, you know, that guides him on his journey. These three women, they represent the moon, and so the moon is Diana, the goddess, the moon goddess, is the goddess of witchcraft. And, and like with the research that I've done about her, she's essentially, I don't know if she'd be considered the first witch, but she's essentially, her worshippers are the first witches in a way. Because it's about nature and honoring nature and living by nature's rules and understandings is, uh -huh. to me that's what the initial meaning or my understanding anyway of the initial meaning is a woman who works with herbs and crystals and basically nature medicine. So that makes a lot of sense to me. That, I've never heard that before but it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that was what it was interesting to me is that she is essentially, she's the patron saint of witches, right. Diana the moon goddess. Right. So uh, talk more about that. What do you think, what do you know about witches? <laughs> what do I know about witches? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like many people were burned as witches who were doing nothing more than trying to help people. Okay. Or who were empowered, empowered women and who worked with, with nature's medicine and had an understanding, a deeper understanding of nature that was misunderstood or mistrusted or, or was manufactured to be misunderstood and mistrusted over a period of years. So in my opinion, so the church could sort of take over in a way because um, they wanted more power over the people. So this is my, this is my understanding of witches. When, you know, there's this whole, this huge modern witchcraft movement, I suppose that's, that's been happening. And some of it is very good. I've heard philosophies of a lot of this modern witchcraft movement which are about do no harm and you know working with nature as opposed to against it and all of that stuff which i'm really aligned with 
And then there are those that just want to have power and control over other people and, and make them do what they want them to do, which to me is not what I would call true, a true witchcraft. Are you a good but witch is, or, or a bad, bad witch? witch? But it is how people see witches. So like, for instance, I will never use that frame, that word to describe me because it's been usurped and and completely, in a sense, destroyed. But then there are other people out there that are like, well, we have to take it back and, and redefine what it means. And I'm like, let's just pick a new word. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I don't mind someone calling me La Dame Blanche, which is basically the white lady or the white witch, so to speak. You know, to me, witchcraft is because, because of how it was utilized, uh, it's just been destroyed as a word. So what do I know about it? I know there's a lot of controversy around it. I know that a lot of people that weren't even practicing natural medicines were burned and worse over it. Um, I mean, what is it? All right, so what? I mean, this is, and you know, all throughout Europe, most people only think of Salem, <laughs> but all throughout Europe, way before Salem ever happened, there were, I mean, thousands and thousands, and there were less people on the planet at the time, thousands of women who were killed in multiple horrific ways. Um, and I see it just, it was a purge of empowered women so that the, the church could take over in a sense. Or the not, you know, they were religion free. and spirituality is 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 great when it's not being used in this less positive way. I mean, it's essentially it became this giant control system. Yeah. And the women, the women who are witches, are the problem with them, quote unquote, is they can't be controlled. Right. Because they know. Right? Yeah, they know that they're of the earth and the wisdom of the earth. They know, you know, it, in in a way, it's in a sense, it's happening some today. People who are very connected to the earth and very connected to natural healing. Um, are going to feel differently about some of the things that are happening in society today than people who aren't. And, and so we've got these huge divisions that are happening between people over health. And it's sort of reminiscent of that time in Europe where, you know, they tell people who are connected in this way that they're wrong and they can't talk about it that way. And yet we're like, but, you know, natural immunity is really really important you can't completely disregard it no matter whether you whether you want to go which way you want to go in regards to health these days natural immunity is a huge part of it and there's this division this divisiveness that's happening now that is reminiscent to me of those days as well mm. it, yeah it's like never the twain shall meet mm. for some reason right Although, I mean, in our lifetime, you'd have to say in some ways it's kind of unprecedented the way all these sort of like pagan ideals have come back into mainstream society. Right. Imagine what we were in the 50s compared to what mainstream society is now in this country. Right. Well, yeah. Right? Overall. It got so much more sort of pagany in general. <laughs> You know, amongst the people where now everyone's got like pictures on their bodies and they practice different things besides Christianity. And right. There's more of an idea of like connecting to the earth and people exploring all these different spiritual, you know, modes. Paths, yeah. Paths, modes, what have you. and To their own truth and their own connection with God's source spirit. It's more, yeah, like everyone's on their own individual trip, whereas before it was, you know, 60, 70 years ago, 
you were supposed to be on this one, you were supposed to fit into this one lane. Well, I think there were or always- Or you're evil, essentially. Right. I think right. there were always people who were really connected to the earth in that way. I mean, you know, there were a lot more farmers at the time. And mm. sometimes when we look back, we're, we see things a certain way because that was what was happening in society as at large. But there were always those people who were really connected to the earth and always those people who understood the land in a way that, that even those of us who do work with the earth and land now don't understand just from the 50s, the 40s, the 50s, there were these people who had these deep, deep connections. You know, I was raised by parents that were um, much older than most people's parents, and my father was a gardener, and he was outside in one of his three huge gardens every day working in the soil, and, and I was there playing alongside his work, you know, and, and really learning about nature and learning about the cycles of Earth, in a sense, even though I, he, I wasn't at his side studying it, you know, I was there in his presence and I was seeing him work in this way. And um, my dad was definitely a nature boy. And, <laughs> uh, and I, got, I got the benefit of that. And I, I feel so blessed that I got to be raised by parents who were, you know, basically a generation older than all of my friends' parents. Yeah, my grandfather had a garden. Right. Yeah, so I ate organic heirloom um, vegetables throughout much of the year. We didn't rely on the grocery store as much as, as most of my friends did because right. my dad was such an avid gardener and so good at it. And there were also troves of flowers and trees. Like I, I played in, the, in this big fig tree. It was my favorite place to play growing up with the smell of honeysuckle <laughs> bushes and um, flowers all along part of the rose petals, different kinds of roses all along one side of the house. So I grew up in this very, you know, it, it was a smaller town in Texas and it was, but it was definitely a town. It wasn't like I was on a farm or anything, but I did get a huge dose of nature that, that a lot of people didn't get growing up. And I feel like I inherently picked up some things because of that experience that others haven't or didn't have the opportunity to. Do you think that maybe what's been going on with like this neo-pagan sort of movement that's been happening in society is a result of that we, a lot of us all moved into the cities and nobody has farms anymore mm -hmm. and so we're all, we all collectively lost our connection to nature and we got more like in this corporate matrix of like the corporations provide us with all of our food and water and all that shit and now there's some parts of our souls that are like hey wait a second we're missing this whole half of our lives that yeah. we need that to feel real. Yeah, because you become dis when you become disconnected from nature, you become disconnected from yourself. And that's why I started my business is exactly yeah. that reason. I felt I'd been so connected in my early life and I, you know, in my mid-30s was like, I don't feel connected to anything anymore and I don't know why. Yeah. And that was my mission statement was I wanted to feel connected again and I wanted to help other people feel connected again. And I just ended up, and I, without really realizing it or understanding it, I ended up delving into everything that had to do with earth understanding, earth, like earth medicine. So I, I studied essential oils, I studied um, crystals, I studied uh, about meditation and astrology and 
Qigong, I mean, I was already a dancer, you know, for a long time, which really keeps you present in your body. But I, I just was studying everything I could that really related to more of these esoteric arts and health and wellness and healing because I am a Virgo <laughs> and we are all about that health aspect. And then I found that connection that was missing and, I, and I've helped a lot of people to reconnect in that way because that is truly what happens. You move into the city, you're not, your hands aren't in the soil. Yeah. You know, all these people that are on Xanax and honestly, if, if, <laughs> if they actually had their hands in the soil, there are microbes in the soil that are more powerful and effective for depression than Xanax ever will be and that's um, scientifically and medically proven. Um, through peer-reviewed studies. So hugging trees also is really actually very powerful for helping us to reconnect. So, you know, as I walk by trees in the middle of Manhattan, you know, I reach out and I touch the, the trunks of the trees and say hello to them. Um, I go, every time I pass the park, my shoes are off immediately, no matter how cold it is, so that I can put my feet onto the earth, my feet onto the grass and the soil and let the microbes from the soil although depleted, heavily depleted at this point, at least, you know, come in contact and really feel that grounding. When we don't, when we don't do that, when we're walking around in rubber sole shoes on concrete, we break that natural connection, that electromagnetic connection to the earth or that biomagnetic connection to the earth. And so that's why the earthing movement became such a big thing, I think, is because we're walking around in rubber sole shoes on concrete and we can't dump the excess stress and anxiety and it all builds up in our energy field and then it blows holes in our in our energy field and then we're more susceptible to any kind of dis-ease of thought or emotion or physical disease coming into our body because our energy field isn't strong. It's depleted and it's not receiving that same energy that, that happens naturally when we walk or run barefoot on the earth. Oh, so this is all reminding me of the movie because our main character in the movie is, I mean, you, you could describe him as totally disconnected. Mm. He seems to be in his own little fantasy world. Right. And he gets fixated on this woman who he has this one afternoon with her and it feels like this beautiful sort of pure experience, I would say, I would call it. I mean, they don't have sex, you know, right. they just have this like, they watch a movie and eat crackers and orange juice and smoke pot and they, they kiss once. And he's obsessed with her from then on out. He felt a and, connection. Right, he felt a real connection. I mean, in the yeah. scenes before that, he's having sex with a woman and they're both watching the television. Yeah. And they're totally disconnected, completely. And he, so he's, he's completely unmoored from reality, which allows him to take this journey but it leads him to following the moon. It leads him to swimming in the lake. It leads him to going underground with the homeless kings. So now he's under the earth. It leads him all over the place, following a, he follows a coyote across the hills of Hollywood. I mean, mm -hmm. he's following a, a, an animal. Like there are these signs of animals throughout the film with the dogs and the squirrel that falls in front of him and he follows the coyote, so there are these animal spirits happening, they're owls, and then there's the owl lady who's like half animal, you know? So there's this whole sort of like earth nature spirit connection that he's sort of fallen, he's fallen his way into inadvertently by following this woman who sort of symbolizes the moon, but also like what you said, 
She symbolizes something real. And he's searching for something real, you know. He's and, desperate uh, for connection, it sounds he's like. He's desperate for a real connection, yeah. And, and you know, to understand, you would say, in, in some ways, a real connection with himself. Like, who is this guy? Right. What is he doing with his life? Like, what is he trying to do? Like, what the hell happened to him? And he just seems like this sort of, like, floppy little puppet that just... You know what I mean? That just stumbles his way through his life, which is kind of a metaphor for people. And especially right. modern people and modern young people who probably feel very disconnected from... With distractions everywhere. From truth. Yeah. You know, the truth of our reality of what is real. What is our rea what is reality really about? And, you know, you talk about being a witch and... And I'm not calling you a witch. But <laughs> it's okay. You, you, you talk about how it's all connected to nature and, and all about connecting to nature, whether that be the moon cycles or the earth or the grass or crystals, different kinds of crystals or, you know, astrology or whatever. They're all trying to explain the natural world or the natural universe. Right. And, and our to place find in your, it. Your place in it. Right. And so. And how we're a part of it, how we connect with it. Yeah, and so that's what the main character is doing. So you're, you're, it's really nice that you're, what your experiences are and, and what you're, what you've been doing and uh, how you're relating to these questions that I'm asking are naturally relating back to the storyline of the movie. Yeah, it's fascinating. Which is what I was hoping for, actually, because <laughs> I had a feeling like you would have a sense of the point of the film in a way, even if you, like, I didn't feel like you watched the movie and got it. Yeah, no, afterwards I was like, uh, what? <laughs> right, which is very normal with this movie. I mean, yeah. almost anybody who could watch it would be like, what the hell was that, right? <laughs> like, what, and, and in some ways you could watch this movie and be like, oh, that was a trifle. That didn't mean anything. And then if you were to really investigate the film, you realize, oh, it's riddled with meaning. Right. You know, and that's what the character is up to, is trying to find and decode the meaning in his universe. And Right. So... Well, in that aspect, I did appreciate, because I did see decoding going on, you know, a bit. But yeah, certainly it's a film that you would need to watch more than once and and explore a little deeper if, to, to get a fuller meaning like you've done. But like you're saying with like, yeah, exploring like the, the, the constellations and the, the zodiac and finding out there's a 13th one and you go deeper into that and that yields all this new meaning and information to you. It's the same thing. It's another puzzle that's there to decode and through the act of investigating, you learn all these new things about yourself and about the universe, you know, that makes your, makes your understanding of the reality around you broader and deeper and, you know, maybe maybe grounds you more in it, I don't know. Um, but at least gives you more meaning and that's something that I think people need and are striving for and we've even, as a society, gone all the way through like postmodernism, which sort of like tore apart meaning in art, symbolism and that kind of stuff. You know, and, and scientism, which is kind of like reduced reality to just chemicals and... Yeah. You know, they've taken the mystery out of it, <laughs> but the meaning as well is gone. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, the meaning comes from the mystery. 
Yeah, it seems to, right? So much of modern society is all about matter, the matter, the matter, and they devoid the mystery and spirituality from so much of it. And the, the truth is the meaning all comes from the mystery. You know, it's the, it's the connection of the matter and the mystery that truly embodies who we are. You could say that we're souls that came here to have a three-dimensional experience, right? Yeah. And which was good, brings us back to that whole idea of the moon, like keeping this reality in place in a way. Mm -hmm. This illusion, the illusion of yeah. three dimensions in place, but we're not here to come here and have a meaningless experience. We're actually here to find out why it's important to be alive and what really connecting with the universe and the earth and reality in a deep way, what that is, you know what I mean? Why that's important and why it, feels important. All hail, post-Relevantians. It's your faithful host, Phil Restino. I come before you, hat in hand, with a request. I've done my darndest to create the very best post-Relevant podcast I can, always trying to bring you the quality that you expect from a podcast that claims to be the podcast for the end of the end of time. We're 16, actually 17, episodes deep into the podcast, and I finally reached the point where I have to bite the bullet and monetize this show somehow. I wanted to keep the podcast free for all the listeners as a proof of concept, so to speak. I wanted this to be a show where the listener could just press play and encounter a kaleidoscope of artistic vision an uncompromised, swashbuckling edutainment. And I think I've done that. But I'm afraid that the amount of time and effort it takes to create each episode is like having a full-time job for free. Every podcast is lovingly crafted. Monologues are recorded. Interviews are recorded. Episodes are scored. Sometimes music is composed. Everything has to be edited, artwork is produced, quote-unquote special effects are assembled, and much more, all created by one man, Lil Philly Ristino. Now on the planet that I come from, money doesn't exist, and for sure, there's no such thing as advertisements, because everyone in the galaxy knows advertisements below. So I wouldn't dare subject the podcast listeners to ads for bubblegum and condoms. But I do need to find a way to make a buck off this damn podcast. So I've created my own Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com forward slash post relevant, you can find ways to donate to this podcast, which will keep Lil Philly Restino flush in gold-plated diapers for the foreseeable future. I plan on creating many special incentives for donators, like t-shirts, stickers, posters, and God knows what else. That's patreon.com forward slash post relevant. So before we go into the second half of the conversation with Laurel, I wanted to play you guys this song. It's called Her Mystery School. And I co-wrote it about Laurel. I was writing an album during the pandemic with some friends. And Laurel was really one of the only people that I was able to spend a lot of time with. She was like a rock for me. 
Haha, <laughs> a rock, crystal, fairy. Really, Laurel was one of my real true friends during the pandemic, and it meant a lot to me, her friendship during that really hard time. And so I wanted to write a few songs for her. One of them was the song from last episode, Tommy and the Needle's Eye. But this song was in response to how impressed I was at how she changed her life when she created her healing practice and her fairy den, crystal store. She created her own mystery school. It's a place and a practice that is unique unto itself and it only could have come from her listening to her own inner calling. It's the kind of thing that can only happen when you learn to trust yourself and your own instincts and your own inner guidance. So I wrote this song about her and her mystery school. And the lyrics are really pretty neat. Like under the Silver Lake, they have multiple layers to them. If you go to my Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Phil Restino, I'll have them posted as soon as possible. You can read them, see if you can decipher them and figure out what I'm talking about. But here we go. Please enjoy Her Mystery School.
So let me ask you about Mary Magdalene. What do you know about Mary Magdalene? Anything? <laughs> Well, to me, Mary Magdalene, my, my understanding of her is very different than a lot of people. My understanding is she was, she went through the mystery schools, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she, I mean, the reason, and I say Yeshua over Jesus, because that's my understanding of his given name. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, the reason Yeshua was with her was not because of what so many people have been told in regards to him having compassion for her. You're not in a relationship with someone just because you have compassion for them. You're in, a, you're in a relationship with someone because they inspire you and help you grow as a human being. And so I really do see Magdalene as someone who went through the mystery schools that he met possibly, who was possibly even senior to him in, in the studies. and. Mm -hmm who inspired him. I mean, obviously, I would say he was a great master. If, you know, I would say ascended master energy. Some people believe that Yeshua was actually one of the ascended masters who came back in the physical form. And so to be in a partnership with someone in physical form, you would need someone who is on your same wavelength, so to speak, uh -huh. to be partnered with. And I really do see them as partners and that she was revered in regards to the mysteries and this is part of why she was basically attacked by the church was because they you know this is how it was meant to be we're going into a time where the masculine is supposed to be swung forward as opposed to the feminine and so they had to lessen her role to put his role forward yeah so i see her as i mean a lot of people talk about magdalene had her own order and I've definitely felt connected to that concept of an empowered woman who understands the mysteries in some regard at least and who is autonomous, which can be a dangerous thing in any society where a certain faction wants to be more in control. You know, autonomy yeah. is, is true freedom and you can't control people that are free. And so I feel that's sort of what was happening. No, I kind of look at her as, I mean, there's a lot to say about her, but uh, so I, I'm always going to be relating this back to the movie. Mm. So there are these, there are these groups of three women that are generally prostitutes in the movie. Right. And you know, Mary Magdalene is referred to as prostitute. Right. But you can go back to the Greek and Roman temples and I mean, probably a lot of them are run by women, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like, even the word whore comes from Horus. Right. So these, I think they're called like the Horai or something like that. They're these, they're the priestesses of Horus essentially. So they're these, they're kind of like these holy prostitutes that run the temples. Right. And so I kind of think in this movie, that's why there's this sort of ring of prostitutes that are sort of representing the moon because they come in threes and are interacting with these rich men right. who consider themselves to be the modern pharaohs in the film. So I think that they are like these, this ring of prostitutes and these three women at a time, they are this sort of like magical groupings of priestesses that are in this sort of LA underworld doing these sort of magical workings with these rich guys who are following these ancient pre-Christian religions in Hollywood in the modern age. Mm -hmm. And that's why these women are there. That's why they're going, 
in the movie they're being buried in a tomb with them so that they can all reach ascension. Mm -hmm. This is what the Which main character realized as well yeah. oh yeah yeah and there's all this egyptian symbolism throughout the film as well as the greek and roman stuff and of course the greek and roman stuff are derived from the egyptian stuff right so there's a scene this is the big scene that i'm going to be talking about in this episode and there's a scene where the main character sam comes to this hut the woman has died in the lake with him he's gotten her father's silver bracelet in mm -hmm. their exchange. So they're in the Silver Lake and she gives him a silver bracelet. She represents the moon and she gets shot and bleeds out in the lake. And so it's like her blood is silver bleeding into the Silver Lake. She's like the goddess sacrificed in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he gets a, he's gifted a, you know, uh, the next step in his journey, mm -hmm. which is this bracelet, which he uses to help decode a map that brings him into the Hollywood Hills and there is a hut. And in the hut is one guy and three women. The three women that he's been following throughout the movie. And they're all dressed in white linen. And it's a fairly simple hut. They're all sitting on mats on the floor. The guy has long hair and a goatee. This one guy that I interviewed refers to him as Creepy Jesus. <laughs> and as Sam enters the hut, the guy is washing this other woman's feet in a bowl. And so there's this, you know, I, I guess I'm gonna use the word famous scene from the Bible, from the New Testament, where Jesus is washing his apostles' feet. And I have to read, I need to go back and reread that section of the New Testament to see what's actually happening in that segment, you know, mm -hmm. in that part of the story. Mm -hmm. But he washes his apostles' feet, uh, which they are like, you shouldn't be doing that, but he does it because it's a ritual. Uh, there's another scene in the Bible as well where Mary Magdalene washes his feet with her hair. With her hair and with essential oils. Yes, and that's where I wanted to go. So there's a bunch of stuff from the scene that I want to talk about with you, but that idea is what I wanted to first get into with you. He's washing her feet, and so that represents... Well, there you have the water symbolism again. And also the symbol of Jesus is the feet. Jesus represents the feet. If you think about the zodiac and the zodiac having different stations in the body, Aries is the top, the head, the, the brain, mm -hmm. and the Jesus Pisces is the, the two feet. feet, the two fishes. Mm -hmm. And so he at one point, Jesus walks on water, and at another point, he washes his apostles' feet. So Jesus is the feet fishes and um, I'm wondering if you have anything to say about essential oils and what you think their purpose is I mean I have some ideas but I want to see where you go with this first yeah. because the water is sort of represents is sort of in place of the oils wouldn't you say yeah yeah well it's washing the feet and in some sense making clean washing away what needs to go washing the dirt off the feet I mean there are in India and other I think in Hindu and maybe other practices, the feet are considered sacred. And this is actually what touches the earth in, when we walk, in a sense. When I think of Magdalene washing Yeshua's feet, I actually did something for several years that I stopped doing <laughs> mm -hmm. that I called the Magdalene treatment, where I would essentially, not with my hair, but I would wash the feet of the person who was receiving and put the essential oils on their feet. Why? And well, in a way, it, it was something 
it was something I was like, oh, this is cool using essential oils that are from the Bible and Magdalene and all that. I just thought it was a cool idea. And then I realized when I started doing them, it was incredibly, incredibly intimate. <laughs> One, whoever is sitting in the chair or sitting receiving, it usually is in a situation where they are in some ways above you or they're being honored, they're being revered in some way. This is very, it's a very personal, very intimate sort of exchange that happens where you're, where you're saying, I am honoring or revering you, I'm putting you above me almost in some way. And it's, all, it's almost like um, a way to heal the ego of the person uh. that you're working with because um, it, depending on the situation, it, it, it can help them to feel like someone is, is purposefully putting themselves in this position where, where they are being honored in a very um, intimate way. I don't know how else to say it, except intimate. Um, okay. And then you're using these essential oils. Well, essential oils are, there's two things about essential oils that are really interesting especially the essential oils that were being used in the story in the Bible. These um, essential oils bypass the blood-brain barrier. Okay. Which not many things will bypass this. Um, Are we talking about myrrh? Uh, I know, um, I'm try I was, it's funny because I, I used to do this and now I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain to remember which oils it were. I, I, I believe it was frankincense, frankincense and spikenard. It makes sense to me that myrrh might have been a part of that as well because myrrh was used quite a bit at the time. So I'm thinking, it, I'm thinking that it was frankincense, myrrh and spikenard. Well, Is um, frankincense a plant? Yeah, well, it, it's a tree. Okay, what is spikenard? Spikenard is also known as jadamanzi, and I believe, believe jadamanzi is also, let me see, jadamanzi. I'm gonna look it up real quick. So, frankincense is a tree. Jadamanzi is the roots of um, a plant. Okay. So, that's interesting. <laughs> the tree would be from the, the bark, the trunk of frankincense okay. or I mean it's the inner oil from within but it's coming from the bark area whereas jadamanzi would be the roots which is sort of reply, implying our root chakra in a way or also how we uh -huh. ground to the earth and I believe myrrh is also from a tree so it's really you know if you think about the wisdom of the trees trees have this very solid center the trunk they root into the earth, and in those roots, they're connecting to microbes, but also to other trees. Um, it's, it's the root system is connection and communication. And the same with the, the branches and the leaves reaching up to the heavens, reaching up to the divine, to the sun, essentially, for the photosynthesis aspect, but also reaching up to the, to the answers from above. And it's, it's definitely got you know, that toroidal field energy around it, that torus field that's that center trunk with the energy going up and around and down and back up through the center again. Mm. Um, sort of like a very elongated donut shape. <laughs> Let me ask you, what would be the purpose of putting oil on somebody's feet? So one, it would be to bypass the blood-brain barrier. And when we bypass the blood-brain barrier, it, it's going deeper into the mind. One, it's very healing physically, 
but it's also going deeper into the mind and the psyche in a way. Oils that bypass the blood-brain barrier can almost make you feel high because it, can, it brings you on a journey. And um, these are known, I mean, the biblical oils are, were famous and, and are known for the fact that they're very centering, very spiritual, very much about connection. And when you clean the brain, essentially, using these oils in moderation, <laughs> don't go slathering them all over you, but it's, it's a process and it's definitely a technique. But, but using these oils to cleanse the pineal gland brings um, deeper and greater connection to the beyond, so to speak. And they're spirit considered spiritual oils in part because they bypass the blood-brain barrier, cleanse out the toxins in the brain area, and really help one to open the pineal gland to more fantastical experiences. The other reason to use essential oils is the scent. Scent is the only thing that bypasses the thinking brain and goes directly into the emotional center of the brain. Okay. And scent can be very healing. And these oils that we're talking about are very, very complex oils. They have many different notes to them. That's partly why they're also such healing oils. There's a, I want to say there's a maturity about them. You know, in order to get good frankincense, you really need a tree that's 500 years old. And so this isn't regular plant medicine. And the same thing with the roots. It's not quite the same in years, but, but the roots are like a deeper understanding and the bark, getting something from the bark of the tree or from the inside of the trunk of the tree, of, of a tree that's been around for 500 years, there's a wisdom with that. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing to be putting the oils from a 500-year-old tree on your body. Yeah. God, that's so much experience that, that you're taking into your into your bloodstream. Essentially, I mean, what it's it's like it's going straight in there into your brain and shit. So wow. Yeah, in a way that most modern medicine most modern medicine does not bypass this blood brain barrier because it's it's it has to be such a small uh, molecule to pass through that. And that's really fortunate, actually, with some of modern medicine today. You really wouldn't want that to be bypassed. And, but here are these natural, these natural chemical substances, essentially, that are able to be small enough to bypass that and really cleanse the mind and bring us on these deeper journeys. This was like, it, you know, it's not like you're going to have some sort of a psychedelic trip, but you definitely have a deeper connection to the all when you do them with that spiritual in, intention behind it. How do these oils interact with the electrical body? <laughs> I can talk about that from a spiritual perspective, not from a scientific perspective, okay. <laughs> because um, that's some science that I don't really fully understand and know. Uh huh. Well, what do you, what do, you do know? Just tell us what you do. Right. Know. I mean, our bodies are are electric. Water conducts electricity, and we are seventy percent water. Plus, there are what many in the East would call meridian lines, energy lines that run through the body that all connect to each other, and there's there's energy that flows through them, and when these meridians get clogged, then the energy stops moving and you need to reopen that meridian to let it flow through. That's the basis of acupuncture in a sense. Please forgive me. Any any acupuncturists out there, please forgive me. And that's what the oils would do as well? That is exactly what all vibrational medicine does, which is all of nature's medicine. Crystals, sound even, um, because sound, everything was created from the word or the sound, right? It's vibrational and crystals hold a vibrational frequency. Essential oils hold a vibrational frequency. Essential oils are essentially concentrated plant and tree medicine. 
I studied with a guy named David Crow, and what I really appreciate about studying with him is how many spiritual practices he has really followed and, and incorporated. And I like the way that he talks about essential oils. He said that they, they are the pharmaceuticals of nature because they are so highly concentrated in the way that they're prepared. So a little bit goes a long way. So Sam, the main character, goes into this hut and there's this guy whose only name in the movie is The Final Man. And he's with these three women who are, they're not necessarily said to be prostitutes, but they probably are because they're in this world where rich men get buried alive with three women. Right. And Sam is trying to find Sarah so um, he's asking them at gunpoint, like, where is she? What's going on? What are you guys doing? The final man gives him some really interesting answers. Like Sam's asking him, like, is Sarah down underground in a bunker like the one that he saw before? And they tell him that it's not a bunker. He says, they're tombs for kings like me. <laughs> he says that they're, they're going to be ascended, essentially, he tells him. They're going to be buried in these tombs for kings and be ascended. And Sam's like, are you talking about heaven? And he says, no, I'm talking about something exclusive and real. He says, they'll be like the pharaohs of old. We will be beyond this universe, living together like kings without limitations. Our souls are going to be pulled from our bodies and carried through, through this unfathomable amniotic sack. He says, only the richest of men can afford this ceremony. It's expensive to build the tunnel system and keep it hidden. He says, we're gonna be sealed in a tomb and eat delicious meals and wine and watch television and have sex. And they'll be buried under there for with six months of food. And then at some point during that six months, they're supposed to ascend to another world. He says, this isn't a world that anyone with any sense stays in or spends much time worrying about. It's all just a shitty sawdust filled rabbit. He says, the things that you care about are useless where we're going. So essentially he's telling the main character, this rich man is telling him like, I'm about to be buried underground in these tombs created for me because I'm a rich man. So I'm like a Pharaoh of old and I'm gonna be buried with these three women and in my mind, these three women represent the moon. And because he's being positioned like Jesus, now he represents the sun. So it's like the sun and the moon together. And they're gonna be buried underground and they're gonna eat delicious food and watch television and have lots of sex and ascend to another dimension. So that's what he's telling the main character is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of got a like a, the way he talks, he's like a creepy version of like, so he's being posited like a Jesus character, but he is like a creepy Jesus. He's like a gross. The way it's explained is kind of gross. Like we're just gonna be buried underground and eat and fuck and watch TV. I, the watch TV thing is what really right? trips it's me so out. Funny. I'm like, when he says that, I'm like, so what? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then magically they're gonna be ascended. So. They don't really explain how that's gonna happen. It just sounds absurd, like they're just gonna be buried until they starve to death underground and die, right? Which is, yeah, similar to that, again, the what some people report was happening in Egypt in the tombs. But we know that the pyramids are not tombs no, at all. No, they're not, no. 
Right. And so... Never a body buried in one. Right. <laughs> right. So that it, would pretty much make point. it... Yeah. Good point. <laughs> uh, but essentially, there is this old idea that's certainly pre-Christian of ascension. Essentially, I think what they're what the movie's pointing to, but not explaining at all, is that it's this idea of sacred sex. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, there are the prostitutes from the temples of old, they're priestesses, mm-hmm. you know, they have a divine purpose and their purpose is to help to achieve a higher consciousness through raising the Kundalini through sacred sex with, I don't know if it's just rich men or whatever, but they're not whores in the traditional sense of what we consider, how we've debased sex and women in general. Yeah, They're priestesses who are serving the function of the goddess and it's the combination of the male and the female, if you do it right, and that's where the oils come in as well, I think, that you raise the kundalini up the spine to the brain, and the kundalini raising up the spine to the brain is activating oils in the spine. Right. And the oils go up the spine and into the brain, and then the oil is like a lamp being lit in the brain, and the brain, is lit and you uh, experience like this higher consciousness light and that creates the sense of divinity in the individual and so that's the purpose of the temples of old along with these psychedelic experiences which i could get into but i'm not going to quite go there quite yet but that's what i think this scene is really actually pointing towards but it's it's sort of sort of presenting in this kind of debased modern way right so that you really don't get it just like the rest of the movie it's it's hidden inside of these uh, these pedestrian kind of presentation yeah yeah but TV. that's what it's really pointing towards is this idea of sacred sex and that the idea of illumination of consciousness through it and so that's what i was sort of trying to get at that's what's going on in the scene. And then, and I'm sorry, I want to read one more thing to you. Yeah, and I I, I want to share something as well. All right, well, hang on to that, yeah. okay? Yeah. So there's a, one of the women in the hut. She says at one point, and near the end of the scene, she says, last night, and she is a very, like, sort of innocent personality, very childlike sort of mm-hmm. personality. She goes, last night I had a vision of us making love beneath the earth and then swimming together in a dark pool. And that's when it happens, our bodies dissolve into light and every beautiful thought we've ever had forms around us and carries our souls through space into another world. We're all just laughing the whole time because we knew that nothing can ever be wrong again. And then she looks at Sam and she says, I wish you were coming with us. Not amazing <laughs> yeah well and that was one of, that's what i was gonna say she doesn't want to leave what do you mean because he comes i think i feel like in some sense he's well he's on this journey for connection and, and all of that but in some sense he comes to rescue her essentially and she doesn't want to go well, uh, she doesn't want to go where what are you saying my re- my remembrance is she's she wants to be there she wants to be well you're talking about a different character now Oh, am I? I'm sorry. I'm talking about one of the three girls that are, three women that are in the hut with the final man. Oh, okay. But while they're in the hut, they put him on a weird video phone and he talks to Sarah, who's already been buried underground. Oh, right. And she, right. You're right. And she 
says, do you think I made a mistake? And he's like, maybe. And she's like, well, too late now. I guess I'll have to make the best of it. <laughs> and she looks happy. Yeah. So she's made her choice. This is what she wanted to do. Maybe she thinks she's going to be enlightened underground with these people. Right. Or she's going to die. She's, I mean, they when they when they hung out in an early scene in the movie, the only other time they're together, they watched this movie, old movie, How to Marry a Millionaire. And it's three women in that. And she's the, she represents Marilyn Monroe in that movie. Wow. And so essentially, by the end of the film, she's married a millionaire. And right. now she's been married underground with him. <laughs> And so she's she's realized her fantasy essentially. Right. But so okay, so, yeah. So what are you gonna say? What do you? How do you respond to all that? So beyond me not quite remembering the details, I think it's really interesting how in so many of these, so many of the films that sort of explore this elite world, mm. that there are always these women that are seen sort of in the concubine perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's very illusory in a way. You, you can't quite tell. Because of sort of how we've been taught to believe, people think, oh, she's a whore and she's in a submission form, you know, in a place of submission in a sense to the male and, and all these other things. But I feel like a lot of them leave it very, in, it's, you can't quite touch it. It's not really tangible. You can't really figure out exactly what it is. We just make our own assumptions based on our own belief systems. But like I'm yeah. thinking back to Eyes Wide Shut. Essentially, when I think back to that movie, I usually think it's, the, it's his journey, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Tom Cruise character. But, but recently going back and just seeing bits of it, yeah. really realizing she was in a position of power, essentially. Yes, yes. So it brings in that whole, the whole idea of Horus and the priestesses of Horus and what was their function exactly. And is it submission or is it being in the magnetic feminine aspect? And is there, you know, I mean, in a way, when you're exploring the masculine and the feminine coming together in union in some aspect, that is ascension. I mean, where, where else besides sex do we have these experiences where every time we have that experience, it's like it's the first time it's ever happened and it brings us beyond the everyday reality into this other place. And, and you know, so many cultures practice um, what someone call sex magic, but <laughs> magic also got a bad rap. So I, I like to think of it more as um, they're practicing how do you use the energy, uh, how do you use the sexual energy to bring you towards ascension? And um, I know this is something that was considered to be practiced in Egypt, but I'm not sure. I, I know there were other cultures as well. I'm just not sure which cultures those were. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just, I find it fascinating. And even you said illumination and it made me think Illuminati. Mm -hmm. Like these rich and powerful men in this past time frame where, where the masculine has been more forward and now we're coming to a time where it's shifting so that the feminine is going to be more forward. But in this time coming out of the masculine being more forward, we have all these scenes or scenarios of these wealthy men with these multiple women around them. Mm -hmm. And yet the women hold some power and influence. Mm. I mean, it, it doesn't happen without them, honestly. Right. And in a sense, they're choosing to be there. And at the end of the day, we all experience what we all choose to experience what we need to experience 
for the purpose of us being here, what our soul chooses, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, somehow our soul is choosing to have this journey and this experience, to have the particular experiences that happen in our everyday lives. I would say for our own learning and benefit, but you know, who knows? There's probably more, more than one philosophy on that, but we're having these experiences because it's what we need. And so who are we in a sense to judge what's happening with these people? This is the experience they want to and whether that's delusion or illusion. And it's interesting, we talked about the moon and illusion, the illusory, what is illusion and what is real? Which of course also makes me think about your song, What Is Real, <laughs> from years ago. But what is real? What is reality? What is illusion? What is illumination? What is ascension? Mm -hmm. uh, to me, these are all questions that sort of come up in regards to this film and in regards to many films that sort of are hinting at this Horus Priestess type role. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> no, that's what we're doing. That's what we're yeah. doing. In Eyes Wide Shut, there's supposedly only 11 women right. in the ceremony. And that it, in order for it to be coven, there needs to be one more woman. And so what's her face is probably the 12th one. Right. And she's was probably edited out of that part of the movie, but that's what some people believe is that she's actually in those scenes where they're having, you know, where the people are all in masks having sex and all that crazy stuff. And the ceremony, that sort of satanic ceremony going on is that, what's her name, the actress that we've been talking about? Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman is essentially already initiated into this right. coven. And maybe grew up in it, which I, yeah, I do feel I does bet you're happen right, in some of these elite. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. which is Stanley Kubrick showing like what's actually going on in the world in these elite circles. Right. And Tom Cruise is being tested throughout the movie to see if he's worthy to join it. You know, the first scene in Eyes Wide Shut, she's undressing and dressing, mm -hmm. and she's in a window, and there are two columns on either side of her, mm -hmm. with like almost like a pyramid shape somewhere in the in the scene, mm -hmm. and it, so it's all a symbolic image, like a like a Masonic symbolic image, like mm -hmm. it's not. Uh, so she's like a goddess figure in that very first image in Eyes Wide Shut, and so the whole idea of that movie is like he's showing us all these mysteries, you know, and all this secret shit that was been going on in elite circles for, you know, hundreds of years, he's showing us in that movie, which could be why he died after he showed it to people. Right. But we can't see it, right. even though we're seeing it with our eyes open. Right. So it's, it's fascinating. And I think that this scene in Under the Silver Lake is kind of pointing in that same direction. And so, yeah, I was just trying to get a sense of what you kind of thought. Like, there's this idea of Osiris and Isis, and this guy, William Henry, talks about Osiris as being a machine. And so in the Osiris myth, he's torn apart by his brother, Seth, and Set is like the sunset, you know? Right. That Osiris is like the sun, and Set is like the sunset. Yeah. And Iris has to go and get his pieces and reassemble him. Mm -hmm. And she gets all the pieces except for his phallus. Right. Puts them back together, but William Henry says that the Osiris is a machine, it's not necessarily a person. And the key to the machine is Isis. And the phallus is missing, so again, there's like this whole Kundalini thing going on. Right. Sacred sexuality and the combination of the two gods is necessary to make the machine go. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like pointing towards an enlightenment process through that myth. 
Right. So it's as old, this whole idea is at least as old as Egypt. And you and I probably both believe that Egypt is like the remnants of Atlantis or yeah. whatever, right? You yeah. know, which One is also million. probably, there was probably something before Atlantis, but, Maria. you know, <laughs> so it's these spiritual practices that have probably been around for thousands of years and tens of thousands of years, maybe longer that we lost track of, but that maybe in these elite circles, they kept the knowledge of it. So this guy, Sam, who's an outsider, he has found his way into a place that he does not belong in and does not understand. But through the course of the film, he's exploring these mysteries, literally, and he's changed by the end of the film. He's ascended. In my idea, by the end of the film, he has ascended, and uh, which I'm going to explain really soon. I might do it in this episode. I'm not sure. It might be this one or the next one. I think I've inadvertently let the cat out of the bag a couple times in a few episodes before this one. So he's going through an ascension process, an enlightenment process throughout the film by going through these experiences, which are essentially coded myths in the movie. They're like recoded myths. They're like reformatted. He's like taking the myths and reformatting them for this modern story and using them as a, as a way to tell the story but hiding them throughout the story. So it's a mystery school. And there's this symbol that he keeps on running into, which is a hobo code. And that eventually when he comes back to his house at the end of the, his apartment at the end of the movie, it's been painted on the inside of his front door. It's two diamonds and it means keep quiet. So it's because he's been indoctrinated into this mystery school. He's supposed to keep quiet. This scene that, uh, this is what I'm mainly gonna be talking about with Andy on this episode. I really wanted to talk to you once this scene happened because I knew about what you know about, although I don't know all about what you know about, obviously, because you're doing that stuff, I'm not. But I thought your knowledge would be really essential for helping to understand what's happening at this point in the movie. And I think I was right. Yeah, no, it's interesting how I would just go off talking about a topic and then it all ended up tying back. And um, it is, it's funny, I feel like I'm enjoying the podcast almost at least as much as or more than the movie in a sense because it's kind of breaking down what's going on in the film and bringing illumination to it, which is essentially what the film was meant to do in some aspect. And... And, yeah. you know, whether it, whether there's um, a slant on how it's to be seen or just exploring these topics and ideas. I mean, I imagine, you know, I never lived in L.A. or Hollywood, um, but I would imagine in some sense if you are living there and you are working there and you do see hints of these things around you or even if you're a part of it, it's going to bring you to a place where you're questioning is this is this good is this bad is this you know and like for instance to me as long as it's empowering the person and uh, not walking over someone else's boundaries so to speak not not influencing others free will then you know it's you know not a bad thing if if it's empowering and you're not stepping on other people's will i'm not sure where it all falls per se like there's times where I definitely think that there's some things going on that are not good (laughs) you know but um but living there working there experiencing these things I'm sure it's going to bring up questions of 
is this the way, so to speak? <laughs> I think like a lot of modern society, it's become perverted and yeah. degraded. Yeah. And so now we've just got that version of it right. that's running a, Hollywood. Right. Just like the government and everything else is like, it's all this degraded, it's, it's these old mystery schools that have been perverted and degraded. They're out of whack, they're out of balance, so it's all being abused. So I think that's kind of what the filmmaker is pointing to is, but underneath all that are these old you know, wisdom traditions right. that have all this value and meaning and purpose that could provide a lot of benefit to humanity if we were to actually understand them and know how to use them. And this is the thing, all the mystery schools were mystery schools because you weren't meant to talk about it. Like there was a time maybe when it was, where these ideas were out in the open and more known and then we went through a phase where everything had to go underneath the surface and that includes the good and the good the bad and the ugly, right? So it had to go beyond the surface. You had to seek out the mysteries and have yeah. your own experience with it. And you know, each person's gonna have a different experience. Some people need to have negative experiences to come into a more positive understanding per se, but then other people need to have positive experiences. But you had to seek it out. And it's interesting, I've been saying for years that now is the time for all of these things to be known again, that mm -hmm. this secret no more is the whole idea. And then the sun dogs started appearing around the sun, which are the big circles around the sun within a few years of me starting to say that. And I was like, ooh, evidence, because you know there are, I believe, native tribes that foretold that when the sun dogs appear around the sun again is the time for the wisdom to come out and be known again. So I, I think it's really interesting that as I feel like as a culture, this is being explored in a much huger way than it used to be. It was only those who right. were really seeking the mysteries at one point, which was a smaller part of the population. I feel like a much larger part of the population is really exploring the mysteries and trying to find their own way and their own understanding and, and what is positive and what is negative. And it's hard to tell when you're in the mystery of it all, you know, like, is this beneficial and also people's ego gets all caught up in it and what they actually want like you said she did she do it just because she essentially was trying to learn how to marry a millionaire <laughs> or is she really there because she felt I mean I, I have my opinion about it but is she, is she there possibly because she felt like this is this is the way this is the truth and this is ascension and I don't want to live in that world that I was in before I want to live in this ascended world you know it, it's a which do you think it is well, I think that it was a combination of the two, perhaps, but maybe a little more of the ego exploring marrying a millionaire, just because of the way she says it at the end. But even so, the, she's very happy as she says that. So I feel like it's probably a combination of the two in some way that, you know, it, she's almost happier than you would think she would be by the way she's responding now that I remember that scene a little bit better. She's very, but she's very beatific throughout the whole film. In fact, a lot of the women in the film, they generally don't have a lot of problems. Like, a right. lot of them are, like, they seem to be good with it all. Yeah. It's so weird. They all have this sort of angelic nature to them. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them do, which is fascinating the way that he's positioned it. I mean, if you look at this movie on a shallow level, 
they all seem very one-dimensional. Right. You know. Right. And in that ho classic Hollywood way. Yes. Too. Which is why I said pretty women talking. It was so one-dimensional. Yeah. That's the only way I could describe it. <laughs> yeah. And this movie is always sort of revering old Hollywood movies. Right. And quoting them. So the way that women are presented in the film can come off like like you say, pretty women talking. Like the way Marilyn Monroe is sort of presented as like, a, just sort of like a beautiful dummy. Right. But clearly Marilyn Monroe was no dummy. No, that was you a know, character. Into her, it it yeah, was a character yeah, she that she was put on. a complicated human being. Right. And probably went through a lot of crazy shit actually. Yeah. But I think it's purposeful, possibly, that the women are being presented that in that way because they're actually representing, they're living this, life that's fulfilling them somehow but they're also sort of these priestesses so they're sacred too right so even though they seem to be presented as like force as degraded right or living in this degraded world they're actually serving this weird sacred function so it's this fascinating dichotomy that if you were willing to look under the surface with this film you'll start to identify yeah really fast I mean that's what I love about this movie is I uh, this is episode maybe 14 probably mm -hmm. that we'll be talking on and so this is a two-hour conversation we've already had over two hours and I've had many long conversations trying to figure out the film and what kind of movie can actually yield that level of investigation like the way it was designed even if the guy didn't mean to do it that way the fact that he's coded it and has made it mysterious in, a, in like sort of like this perfect way allows for an endless investigation into it, it seems. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of like the mystery schools or Christianity. If you want to like start to try to understand Christianity or like well, I had this two episode conversation with my sister about Dante. Right. I mean, you know, and Dante has all these similar themes to it too. And he's following He's searching for Beatrice, this sort of angelic woman that he has this, uh, she's like his muse. Right. You know, like these women are like muses, sort of represent goddesses, they're priestesses, they have a holy, they have a holy purpose. So right. they're to be revered. And in a way he kind of is and doing honored. that. Yeah, revered and, and honored, honored. Yeah. yeah. Which is the idea of the Mary Magdalene honoring the male almost in, right. in that scene. It's that honoring that makes it so intimate. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I think we can probably wind this down. We've, uh, we've explored a lot of this. And I mean, really, I brought you in to really kind of help explain a single scene of the movie. <laughs> Which is, but it's such an important scene and I knew that you would have the key. You'd have some of the keys to the scene. So, yeah. uh, good job, Thanks. first of all. <laughs> is there anything that you wanna say in closing about the film or about the subjects that we've been talking about? Whatever you wanna say. No, I, I feel like I kind of touched on it, that the whole idea that we in modern society see these women as, you know, Playthings of the wealthy men, or or not empowered in the in the thing, but but that there's always this like sort of just beyond full understanding of that there that's not maybe the case, and so I find that interesting, and and just that I feel like she wants she's at peace with her choice, and yeah. wants to be there, and yeah. and who's to say? To Who's to say that maybe there isn't something about that? And certainly, I mean, I've heard stories, similar stories in regards to Egypt, and I'm sure 
Um, there are stories from other lineages as well where, where this whole ascension process is, it, it's part of that ascension process. And in a sense, like using the essential oils is, you know, the essential oils, when you put them on the feet, they go, they go into the bloodstream and circulate through the body in under a minute. And so wow. it's, it is quickly going into the whole bloodstream and into the mind and bringing you to a different kind of reality and understanding. And, you know, it's cleansing the physical brain as well as, which helps to open up the energy of the pineal gland and, and probably activate the DMT oils that are in the pineal and can bring you into that visionary state with, with meditation and other spiritual type practices, right? And probably actually through um, using sexual energy as well to sort of open up that whole thing. And who's who's to say that it's not? I certainly don't know. I haven't tried. I haven't experienced it. So who's to say that maybe this isn't actually something that can happen? I really do believe that we can journey into into the pineal gland, into the center of the mind, and from there create a Merkaba light body around us that we can then travel multidimensionally through. So who's to say that there isn't some sort of ascension process related to it that we just haven't been shown or taught? And maybe that's some sort of illusion that's going on here. I don't know. You know, based on my reality, my everyday reality, I'm not sure that I would want to jump straight into the fire like that without having some experiences that led me there. But maybe, right. maybe those experiences are there and we just haven't been shown them. I don't know. It's interesting. You could also think like maybe they are gonna get buried there and die. Yeah, maybe it's all months. illusion, and it's and it, maybe maybe they're just killing themselves essentially. But right. but they're so freaking happy about it because they believe. And the thing is, if you believe, then who's who's to say it's not going to be so? The mind is powerful. Yeah. And this is shown to us over and over and over again, not only through spirituality, but now even through science, how powerful the mind is. If you believe something will help you, it will. Yeah. Uh, you know, they say, oh, that's just placebo. I'm like, placebo is powerful medicine and doctors use it. <laughs> so it, it's, placebo, it's not something placebo. you can know. <laughs> well, there is placebo, yeah. I don't know what that is. Oh, I think Placino, oh, it's, it's sort of the opposite. I, I can't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I was reminded of it recently. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But God. essentially, the mind is powerful and where our mind can take us is powerful. And in a sense, that also relates to film. Yeah. What you can do, what kind of, you, what you could potentially do with a movie what how it could affect people you could make a movie like this yeah and maybe being under the silver lake maybe it means being under illusion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but maybe it means being under di divinity i don't know you know yeah. but it, yeah it, it's the moon the moon in in um, dante's divine comedy the moon is the first heaven wow yeah that makes sense yeah yeah you know yeah all right, but look, we gotta, we gotta, yeah. we gotta wrap it up. So thank you, first of all. Yeah, it was fun. Um, if people wanted to find you online, how do they find you? Thefairyden.com, T-H-E-F-A-E-R-I-E-D-E-N.com, or same spelling on Instagram at this point, and Facebook as well. Though I'm mainly on Instagram these days, who knows? That will probably change at some point too. So, <laughs> the Fairy Den or under my name, Laurel Rethke. And what do you offer under the Fairy Den and Five Cents Healing? What are you offering people? 
Well, it's interesting. I started, um, my practice started doing healing work, which was five sense healing, and I offer crystal and energy and sound, energy healing and crystal sound and um, energy healing sessions and consultations and astrology. And then through the fairy den, I offer crystals. I have a small shop in Midtown Manhattan and classes, classes, lots of classes. And, and I, I have oh, almost 100 people that I've certified in crystal healing over the past wow. four years. So. And you have online classes? Yeah, I've been doing online classes recently. Yeah, I'm in the, in the middle of one right now. <laughs> Certification. But you also teach them in purpose? In person. Uh, in person as well? Yeah. Sometimes? Yeah. And if people want, they can come to your shop in Manhattan. They can get in touch with you through the website and visit your shop and see all the amazing crystals that you have. Yeah. All hand selected. <laughs> yeah. You have an incredible collection. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. Reach out and check out Laurel's stuff. It's freaking dope. You'll like it. If you're in Manhattan, one of the coolest crystal shops I've ever seen. Picked by a fairy. That's right. <laughs> fairy elf. <laughs> a fairy elf. So thank you very much for thank you. talking to me. Yeah, thank you it was awesome. for taking me on this journey with you. We journeyed. We did it. We figured it out. We solved the universe. <laughs> 42. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. And that's where we're going to leave it. 42. Over and out. Dig it. Later. That's going to do it for episode 17 of the Post Relevant Podcast. Ladies of the Hour, part two. Very special thanks to Lorel Rethke for her cosmic conversation. She's the best. You can find her online at thefairyden.com, fivecentshealing.com. I hear there's going to be a laurelrethke.com on the way. You can contact her at The Fairy Den on Facebook and Instagram. Check out my acting, art, and music at theseardreams.com. And you can contact me at Phil Restino on Facebook and Instagram. Please check out my Instagram, Instagram forward slash Phil Restino to see all the poster art and lyrics and everything else for this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash post relevant and make a donation. Keep art alive. You can hear the theme song to the show, The Post Relevant Movement. You're listening to it right now. And the rest of the album, Bodude, if you look up Agents of Venus on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Alan Tobin for co-writing this theme song. I'm going to get him on the podcast soon, and we're going to talk about the creation of the post-relevant movement song. More decodes to come. We're nearly done, folks. Peace and love to everyone. And remember, criticize things you